Welcome to The Path and the Practice, a podcast dedicated to sharing the professional origin stories of the attorneys at Foley and Lardner LLP, a full-service law firm with over 1,000 lawyers across the U.S. and abroad. I'm your host, Alexis Robertson, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Foley. In each episode of this podcast, you'll hear me in conversation with a different Foley attorney. You'll learn about each guest's unique background, path to law school, and path to Foley and Lardner. Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bios. And of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now, let's get to the episode. Today, I'm speaking with Shauna Bell. Shauna is a mid-level associate in Foley's Orlando office focused on corporate transactional matters. Also, interestingly, Shauna is the first lateral associate that I've had on the show, meaning she's the first associate I've had on who did not join Foley straight out of law school which is hard for me to believe. So note to self, I need to get more laterals on. But I was absolutely delighted to get her on because it's interesting that she's a lateral, yes, but what's even more interesting is her path to law school and her ultimate path to Foley. What you're about to hear is a story about how there is definitely more than one way to get to big law. And what you're going to hear is the path of a self-proclaimed late bloomer. Shauna is very candid in talking about her non-traditional path, and she describes it as having a part one to college and then a part two for college after she was, quote unquote, invited to take some time to refocus her priorities. But what you'll hear is that in between taking a pause from college for a number of years, she ended up in the non-traded alternative investment space. And yes, she does explain what exactly that means, but ultimately what she found was a really supportive employer an organization that supported her and seemed to see some things in her that perhaps she'd not even seen herself. And what's really fun is that one of the in-house lawyers there is a Foley alum who gave her a very hard shove towards law school with a little bit of serendipity and luck mixed in as well. But what happens subsequently is that Shauna does go to law school. She goes to Florida A&M University and she doesn't stop there. She then decides to go ahead and get her LLM from the American University College of Law in Financial Regulation and Securities. So we cover all of that, but we also talk a bit about her family and household dynamics, given that she is a first-generation American from parents who immigrated to the U.S. from Jamaica. She also shares a bit about what it was like going to a historically black law school. And she talks a bit, and this I think is a really important discussion as the recruitment of diverse attorneys is so hot right now, but she talks about how often the messaging of whether big law is really interested in recruiting a certain type of student is confused and how oftentimes students with her background don't necessarily feel like they are welcomed to this world. But anyway, super interesting for so many reasons. I know that you will love hearing from from Shauna. And ultimately, I love the advice she gives. And the through line of her story is the importance and of having the willingness to try something new. And also to trust the wisdom of others when they see something in you that you may not see in yourself. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Shauna Bell, welcome to the podcast. Let's just dive right in and have you give your professional introduction. Okay. Hey, happy to be here. Uh, My professional introduction. I am a corporate and M&A transactional attorney. I'm in my, I don't even know, I guess my sixth year out of law school. But since I'm a lateral, I think I came in to Foley as a third year, but I'm class of 2014 out of law school. So I'm glad you shared that you're a lateral because when we um, were talking before we started pressing record, I shared with you, you're the first lateral associate that I've had on the show, which I just find so hard to believe because at this point there's been I think you're going to be episode maybe 27 or so. So that is, I can't believe I I haven't had, I need more lateral associates. So we will talk about that. But before we do, start at the beginning. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? So I am from sunny Orlando, which is where I also am right now. I grew up just north of Orlando proper in like the county suburbs. And I have been here, save for a 10-month stint in D.C. for since I was three. My family is originally from Jamaica, so we moved here when I was three, and I've been here ever since. I had no idea. And I don't know why I would know that your family's from Jamaica, but I it's interesting learning new things about people while right. recording. <laughs> so, All right. So tell me about that. We will get to the whole why law school, why'd you become a lawyer, but tell me a bit about growing up. I'm not sure if there's any interesting stories about you know your, that your family immigrated from Jamaica, but tell me more about this. So growing up, I feel like I have sort of the standard immigrant family, you know, growing up, 
thing, except with this sort of weird caveat that I feel really fortunate. I grew up in an area that was newly developed. So there was a lot of people from other places. So my best friend, when I was growing up, still my best friend to this day, what up cat? If she listens is Vietnamese. We, you know, a bunch of good friends are Asian and Indian and all kinds of people from all kinds of places, which was really nice, which I think made kind of growing up and going out into the world kind of weird because they don't, my idea of diversity and everybody else's was a little different. You find out that the world is different from what your life looked like. Yeah. Like my life was very, you know, blended and that's not everybody else's. And then, you know, it was just, that was a weird bit for me. And then other than that, it was sort of blended and then super independent because there was really only one of me, even though, and not in like, the con in the way of like I was the only black kid because I wasn't. There were, you know, a handful of us in every class, but first generation and then mixed race, because even though both of my parents were Jamaican, like my dad, if you don't see him or if you see him and don't hear him, you think he's just like, you know, Ted from down the street. You're like, oh, like standard issue white dude. And then he starts talking and people get really confused. That is so interesting. I don't even know where to follow up. But actually, take me back to when you said you said the typical immigrant household. Can you elaborate that on that just a little bit? Because I do think a lot of people know what you mean, but many may not. So what what do you mean by that? Well, I think you know it's it, you definitely have that dual experience of like sort of living in two different countries at one time. So you leave home, you go to school, you go out into the world, and you perceive the world or you are perceived by the world one way. And then you come home and you exist in a world that is different than what's on the other side of the door. Like my mom always used to say, you know, America ends at the front door, mostly because that was when she was punishing us because we'd try to get hot at the mouth, like our little school friends. And she'd be like, no, no, no kids. That doesn't fly here. here. Yeah. Not in this house. Not here. That ends at the front door. So I think that that's somewhat universal for all families, like regardless, like you come home and the rules are the home rules, not whatever you picked up with your little friends out on the street. And then, you know, you have this sort of additional layers of our food's different, our culture is different. Although I see a lot of my culture being picked up and added to the world now, and I'm trying to not be possessive of it and trying to, you know, not grind my teeth when I see it. But I'm like, that's not, my husband makes fun of me because he knows like certain things really just grind my gears, like fake Jamaican accents, calling something jerk chicken that isn't, putting pineapple on jerk chicken, stuff like that is just, it's a thing I have. I can't. And I'm going to ask more about you and, you know, your path to here, but now I am curious, why did your parents move from Jamaica and did they go straight from Jamaica to the Orlando area? So yes and no. My mom actually moved first. My dad didn't move until we came up here. They actually have a pretty cute meet cute. So my mom just moved because she was a 21-year-old and doing things that 21-year-olds do. And she was a nurse. She had just finished nursing school at UWE, at the University of the West Indies, and heard from someone somewhere that they were hiring nurses in New York. And she was young and decided she was going to go check it out. And so she did that. And in the process of having done that, her boss slash best friend was my dad's sister, She unfortunately got sick with colon cancer. My dad came up to take care of her, asked my mom to take him out shopping because he's much younger than my aunt. And that is how they met. And then they sort, you know, they do what they do. Yeah, life happens. Yeah. And unfortunately, my aunt passed not too long after, but then I was born on her birthday. Wow. Okay. That's <laughs> interesting. So there in Orlando, we have little Shauna growing up in our kind of multicultural area of, of Orlando. Give me a snippet of what you were like, you know, I don't know, circa middle school, high school. Does this person know she wants to be a lawyer? Just tell me about it. Aggressively, no. Middle school, high school, me, I don't know that I had a clue what I wanted to do. Like I knew I had to go to college. I knew that wasn't an option. It wasn't up for discussion in my household. It was just, you know, what I had to do. I pretty much knew I had to get a graduate degree of some sort because that was what my mom said. First degree's on me, second degree's on you because you will have to. And There was a period of time where I thought I would be a school psychologist because a friend of ours was a school psychologist and was coming over to do all of her training on us. So I was taking, you know, all of the different tests every weekend. Middle school, high school me was probably a little precocious and figure a little too perceptive and figured out a little too quickly what counts and what doesn't. So this is not surprising to me, by the way. Sorry. <laughs> That's what you're saying. But go on. Nothing about my grades would suggest that I would go to college, much less um, become a lawyer. I 
unless I wanted to. I had very, like my grades had wild swings. If I was into something, then I did fine in it. If I was not into it, then I just didn't do it. A little bit of a little bit of a rebel, maybe a little bit of a going to do what I want to do kind of thing. Or what? What a is that? Little, a little bit, but also like people pleasing. So like I was rebellious in as much as I was an only girl and keenly aware of like I didn't want to have to do one extra thing that wasn't generally required for everyone else. So I was not going to be your sort of model minority look at me with my straight A's like, and I'm just like over here doing whatever I want, much to everyone's frustration. Like I am the queen of the, if she only applied herself on the report card, like if she applied herself, this would be better. If she would stop talking, this would be better. And then I'm just like, eh, get mad. And my mom would lose her mind every report card. I, you know, get all manner of punishment rain down on me and she would huff and puff and blow the house down. And I sort of shrug and go, okay. Something about the way you're describing yourself reminds me of, uh, it sounds like my youngest, he's seven, where I'm like, this might be Wesley. But also, there's a number of things you've said where as not to mess up our audio on the podcast, I have refrained from cackling wildly in the background. (laughs) But the fact that you said aggressively no to being uh, a lawyer, and then also just some of your characterizations are, I I believe they're very accurate, but they're also pretty funny. So then what happens? You know, we got a sense for who you are, what you're like, you go to college, what's, what's the thought process, what's going on there? So college part one happens and I have to segregate this into college part one and college part two, because college part one, I majored in beer and boys. So grades were still not of any particular importance to me again, unless I was interested in the class. So like I took world religions and knocked it out of the park and I took macroeconomics and did fine. But I think I got a D in English because I just didn't care enough. Like that's the problem with my personality. So college part one was beer and boys and friends. And I made a bunch of great friends, but like an elementary school teacher told my parents, I can have good grades or I can have friends. I can't have both. Hmm. So I was invited to take some time off to refocus my priorities. And I did. And in the process of taking that time off, I started to age off of my parents' health insurance which required me to get a grown-up job because this was pre-Obamacare. So there was no, you know, you couldn't stay on your parents' insurance till however old. Mm -hmm. So I got a temp job and I got a temp job at a company that is a pretty big, or at the time was a pretty big player in the sort of non-traded alternative investment space. And I started there as an assistant and then I went into their diligence department And I was in their diligence department for probably four or five years. And I had returned to school and was wrapping up. And and I have to stop you for one moment. Say it again. You said non-traded alternative. Non-traded alternative investments. So Non-traded alternative investments. Okay. So they did a lot of real estate investment trusts, a lot of private placement work. And I started as just an assistant in their diligence department and then got hired permanently as an analyst in their diligence department. So reviewing or really facilitating reviews of these complex products by the broker dealers that were going to let their registered reps sell them. Okay. But all of those words were words I had to learn while I was there. <laughs> I called them raids for the first six months. Like I, nothing. That's amazing. So I'd started going back to school. I had taken, and I was always a psychology major, like invitations to refocus my priorities. The one thing that was always consistent with me was I was a psych major and I was really content with it. I really enjoyed it. I And where were you in school? Where, where was college? UCF, sorry, the University of Central Florida. Go okay. So, and that was roughly 15 minutes from where I grew up. So I grew up sort of like just north of Orlando. UCF is basically around the corner. So yeah, so I was there, invited to take a break to refocus, got a job because health insurance turned out that I'm not a total moron and was doing pretty okay at this job, decided, well, my mom doesn't say I love you to me anymore. I wonder if this is because I haven't gotten my degree yet. I should probably go back to school. You know, I'll have to finish that up. You have to, you have to be a something, uh, something, some, a profession, you know, a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, uh, something. They don't want to have to explain what you do to their friends. One word. That's it. So I went back to school, this time at Rollins College, which is a smaller liberal arts school still in Orlando, but they had a better night program. UCF at the time didn't have anything at night in, at the main campus. Um, it was all at satellite campuses, and that was really too far to make it workable. So I switched mm-hmm. to Rollins, which ended up costing me both 
money-wise and time-wise because they had some ridiculous residency requirement. And I was maybe, I think when I started 15 credits short of graduation and I had to give them like 28 to finish. So yeah, yeah. to make some, make up some credits. And you're doing this while you're working full time and doing this at night. Correct. So kept my job. They were really accommodating. But in the course of doing that as a psych major, took a forensic psychology class and really loved it. Like that, you know, class focused on the intersection of law and psychology. And I was like, oh, I love this. And the lady that was a forensic psychologist came in and spoke. And, you know, I was like, so that year, my review, my boss is like, so, you know, you're almost done. What do you think you're going to do next? I said, well, you know, I think I'm thinking more and more about getting my society, being a forensic psychologist, the Dr. Day, who came and spoke, really said, you know, she did it just with her PhD, or maybe she had a side, I don't remember, but she would think, she would tell anybody that was trying to do that work now that they should go to law school. And my hmm. boss, who had considered law school, and his wife, who was actually getting her PhD at the time, decided that law school was a far better fit for me than hmm. being a psychologist. And I was like, I don't know that I agree with you, but fine. So, you know, he says to me in that meeting, well, you know, you should think about law school. And I said, okay. I'll think about it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm going back to my desk. Leave me alone, bro. I'm just going <laughs> to one thing. Like if I can just get this one monkey off my back, then I'm home free. You know, I've got a job. I've got a boyfriend. Everything is fine. Like life is good. Yeah. I'll walk off into the sunset. There's no need to think about more. Yeah, I'm finished. Like I'm good. Like my mom will shut up. I've got my degree. Like this is what I want. I'm done. So next quarter rolls around. He asked me, so have you given any more thought to law school? Nope, sure haven't. Um, go back to my desk, carry on living my life. He leaves the company. His boss takes over. His boss is, so I will do a sidebar here to interject that I had started as a temp at the same time this guy had started as in-house counsel. Strangely enough, he had come out of Foley. He had come out of the Orlando office of Foley into the company I was working for. And he came in a week after I started as a temp. And so we sort of were new at the same time. And I was an assistant. And I think just having that sort of firm idea of what assistants do, he would sort of show up at my desk needing help a lot. Like, hey, can you help Mm -hmm. me with this? Hey, can you go find this? And it wasn't really part of my job, but I was bored with what I I was doing anyway. So I'm like, sure, I can do that. And I would go figure stuff out for him and come back and find stuff and, you know, chase it down and come back. And that sort of became our relationship. So he takes over doing my reviews until they figure out who they're going to hire now that my then now former boss has left. And he's like, well, he mentioned that you are thinking about law school. And I said, oh, did he? He mentioned that, huh? Because I'm not, but thanks for him. Good for mentioning that. So I don't remember if it was the same quarter or the next quarter, but he brings it up again. The new boss brings it up again. Have you given any more thought? No. Why do you people keep asking me this? I have not given it any more thought. I think it's a ridiculous suggestion. Have you met me? Does anything about me scream lawyer? No, it doesn't. Let's leave it alone. No, no such luck for me. He looks at me right then and there and says, well, what if we paid for your LSAT course? Like, what if the company paid for you to take your prep course? Wow. Okay, go on. Sure. Fine. Sure. Okay. Go back to my desk and I'm like, all right, this is it. I'm going to call his bluff. This will be super easy. So I sit down. I start looking through the prep course options and I find one and it was, this must have been July. And so the next sort of sitting was going to be October. And I found one course that I could go only one night a week. I hadn't finished school. So I've got regular school. So I'm like, I'm not, I refuse to be doing this LSAT prep course multiple nights a week. So I go back to him and I'm like, okay, so here's the thing. I found one that I found a prep course that will meet one day a week between now and to prep me for the October LSAT. But if I'm going to do it, it starts tonight and I have to leave here in 30 minutes. Are you kidding? I'm sorry. What? Okay. Keep going. So I'm like, yes, this is it. This is how I call his bluff. This is how I get everybody off my back. He chucks his corporate Amex at me and says, print the receipt and give it to Jacqueline. I'll see you later. And I was like, oh no. He called your bluff. All right. Yep. Okay. Someone's taking an LSAT class. (laughs) So I'm taking LSAT class. And so my, my mantra was, I'm just going to take the LSAT and see what happens. And that morphed into, I'm just going to apply and see what happens. And then I woke up three and a half years later and I was in my last semester of law school. And in the interim, I'd gotten married and yeah, I don't really know what happened. And where did you go for law school? So I went to Florida A&M, which is a historically black college. It's their law, their main campus is in Tallahassee, but their law school is in Orlando. It was just a couple blocks from my office, which is why I picked it much to my then boss's chagrin. He was like, well, why don't you try Like, he's like, you know, how do you put it? He's like, I don't know, some 
school, some fancy school. He's like, they always hold a few seats for somebody that doesn't have great grades, but has a great story. I think we could really craft your story. It would be a great story. And I was like, no, that's not going to happen. I'm going to do the most convenient thing I can do here. Like, this is not, this is not it. Like this, I'm giving this six months. Like this is not going to be. And so are you working while in law school? For the first half of my first semester, I'm working just a handful of hours because they get, I mean, they were really sweet. I have to say this company was really supportive. I wasn't sure if I was going to go full-time or Mm part-time. It was like, take the day off against the backdrop of this was a really chaotic time. This is just after, this is, I started in the fall of 2011. So this is like just coming out of the recession. Mm -hmm. I had managed to maintain my job, but like everything else was super hectic. Diligence on our kind of products has become super hectic because of the recession and because of they were real estate based and um, there was a lot of exposure for some of our legacy products. So work is chaos. Bosses, they had hired two two people to replace the one boss and they had both been out on maternity leave intermittently. They were both just coming back. So he He's like, my boss is like, hey, well, I guess really my boss's boss at that point is like, hey, you know, take the day off, figure out what you want to do, figure out if you're going to go full-time or part-time, you know, and then we'll go from there. So I took a day off, went to the beach, sort of thought it through and decided, you know, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go full-time. So I come in the next day and I tell him I'm going to do this full-time. And he sort of looks at me like straight face, like very, like not stern, but obviously not pleased with my choice. And is like, well, you know, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll just have, set a hard stop two weeks or maybe it was a month. I don't remember. Like hard stop and we'll just do it. It must've been a month. Cause like first two weeks roll by. He's like, yeah, week three. He's like, I'm not certain. My last week, he's like, okay, we're going to need to figure something else out. Oh, it's going to work. <laughs> you can't, like, we can't, we don't have it for you to just up and stop. So I was you giving him like 15 hours a week in between. And that only lasted for half a semester though. Cause I just couldn't. That's a lot because that first semester is really hard and a lot to adjust to. Yes, it was. But I actually appreciated having work because it was this sense of, I know how to do this. Like I have this job, I do this well. So I, I personally need that efficacy. Like I need that sort of solid foundation of like, I know how to do something. Cause other than that, I will just drift off into a spiral of anxiety and nothing will get done. So work was actually really helpful to start because I had somewhere else to kind of focus and be focused. So yeah, in October, I finally left and went, started, you know, focused on school full-time and did that. And it was- And the thought was still forensic- psychology that was, or had it changed by that point? I don't know that I had a concrete thought about it anymore. I, I still think I would still love to do forensic psychology. It's just not really, you know, that should be mm-hmm. a little bit, mostly because my husband now husband and boyfriend was like, Hey, I've got an idea. How about we do something that pays money first? <laughs> so go to law school first. Then after you do that for a while, you can go do this other thing. And I'm like, okay, sure. Sounds good. Let's try that. Well, okay. And before we started recording, you even mentioned people are going to enjoy this because in many ways, my story is the story of how not to end up in big law, but end up in big law anyway. And so I'm just thoroughly enjoying you laying this all out. The support that you got from your job, I just find fascinating. That connection to Foley is super funny and kind of weird, actually. But what I see when I pull you up on LinkedIn is like, and I mentioned everyone, you're a lateral, but it wasn't a matter of, I went to law school, I started at this other firm, and then I went to Foley. I mean, it kind of is, but you have some other like internships in here and some other places you work for. So I'm not even quite sure the best way to sort of attack it to lay out the rest, but like, let's, let's do that. Actually, and first, are there any comments on law school in general before we jump into the, the next part? I loved law school. Honestly, I think for me, law school was one of the most enjoyable experiences that I ever had. I think because they say, you know, the more as you progress through school, the, it becomes more specific and that this will go into the next thing too. It becomes more specific. And the more you enjoy what you're doing, the easier it is for you. And so, and I think once I got to law school, I, I remember looking at my old boss and saying, okay, I get it now. Like I, I get what everybody else saw that I wasn't seeing because I do think I, my mind works, the way my brain works sort of lends itself to the study mm-hmm. of law. I am sort of a connect the dots, like, you know, why, why are we doing this? How do we, you know, how is this different than the last time we did it? Like, that's just the natural way I think about things. So when I got there, I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. 
So there's that alignment there. And I, I dare say I'm hearing maybe a little bit of interest and passion for the things. Whereas before you were saying like, yeah, when I'm not into something, oh yeah, I'm not into it. Correct. Like I will do it to maybe make somebody happy, but that has a very short shelf life for me. I, mm-hmm. there's a part of me that's just like, okay, I'm done now. I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Well, and something I've heard that I just will share for the, for you or listeners, whatever it's worth is this great book called range by David Epstein. It's all about how we're all told we should, we should specialize when really we actually do better by doing a variety of things and kind of get your superpower. But there's a quote in there about how um, pr- the right professional fit can look, lo- look a lot like grit when really what you get is is passion. And I think sometimes we get it wrong that we're like, I just need to put my head down and I hate what I'm doing, but I should just grind it out. But really, if you liked it, you were interested in it, you were passionate in it, it's going to look a lot like you have grit just because you're interested in what you're doing. Yes. I think generally I agree with that statement, but my husband and my husband and I talk about this all the time. For your first job, I think everybody has to just put your head down. Get a job. Yeah. Just get a job. Yeah. Just get a job and keep the job. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, and I see this a lot with people. They like get into something. They're like, oh, this isn't really for me. Like, I think you've got to get a job and keep it for two years because your first year is going mm-hmm. to be hell. There's just no way around it. It's just that adjustment period. And then like in your second year, like I'm just now starting to feel like I'm kind of finding my way mm-hmm. here at Foley because I've only been here since last October. So I agree with you generally, but I will also add the caveat for your first job, suck it up grind it out for two years. And that's an important caveat. You have to just do. Like you yeah. need to just, this um, belief that you're just going to fall into something that has been so amazing and I've never had to work a day in my life. Yeah. No, like you have to actually go do and learn new things. Okay, but go on. Sorry, that's my aside. Keep going. I oh, know you're good. I don't, Okay, so we were wrapping up. So yeah, I loved law school. I had a really good time. I mean, obviously there were hard times in there. Like law school is not what anybody considers fun. But I was enjoying the study of the law. Like I really liked, because as a you know self-proclaimed late bloomer, sort of a slacker, I was not ever, yes, I took American government in high school, but I wasn't, you know, it was my last semester of my senior year. I didn't really pay attention. But especially like the government parts of it, I really loved. Like I was like, oh, that's how stuff happens. Oh, that's why that works that way. And for me, that's always like, that's my drug of choice is like just why like figuring out the why in things really makes me happy so law school is wrapping up obviously you know i well i started law school 2011 so they do the like look left look right you know half you won't be here shindig whatever but they added a new wrinkle to ours which was congratulations you're starting law school in the worst legal job market in history mm-hmm. good luck yep enjoy okay. nothing like student loan debt and the looming unemployment mm-hmm. so <laughs> Figuring that I was going to a school that we'll say was not a top tier and figuring that I just wanted to know how I sort of stacked up professionally. I, there was nobody showing up to do, you know, OCI for our summer internship. So I was like, well, I got to do something else. Mm-hmm. So after my first year, I went back to my old company and worked and interned with them. I came home from my honeymoon and emailed the same guy that had kicked me out to go to law school. And I was like, hey, I'm back. Just got off my honeymoon and, and I have a JD. <laughs> oh no, this is before that. So this is another- oh okay. I'm going to have a JD. Okay, go on. So, so I'm like, hey, I just got back from my honeymoon. Obviously, nobody was hiring for like the weeks of summer I have left. Do you guys need help? And he's like, Yep, sure do. See you Monday. <laughs> so they rushed through that hiring. So I was there for that summer. And then end of my second summer, I went to I did a summer instituted American just because I wanted to kind of see what other things were out there. And then in the process of being there, I discovered that, that institute actually also feeds their LLM program. So I decided to get an LLM and, and an LLM and what, and then just master briefly. Of laws. So it's, okay. And, and what is an LLM for those who don't know? Go on. It's a master of laws degree. So basically it's a holdover from, and this is an interesting side story. And it comes with a cute anecdote from my mom, a holdover from everywhere else in the world. You can get a bachelor of laws and practice some kind of law with that. Except in America, they decided in the seventies that you should have that a lawyer is a profession like a doctor. And so you should have a bachelor's degree before you can go into that specialty. And so they moved the Bachelor of Laws to be a professional doctorate, hence the creation of the JD. And But what they didn't get rid of was this idea of the LLM, which makes total sense if you're thinking of it from an LLB, which is the Bachelor of Laws. An LLM is a master's, just like a standard. So a lot of people in the law use that to specialize mostly in tax. 
is where I see it get most play. I went for law and government with a specialization in business and financial regulation and securities. Because again, I really liked, I liked the policy aspect of it. Like I like, I like knowing what matters. And I think in this space and the kind of work I was doing at the time and was hoping to do in the future that being able to know the policy priorities of the administration that was coming in. So what impact that might have on forthcoming regulation for your clients is important. So that's helpful. That is useful insight. Yes. Right. So that was sort of my thought process and picking that degree. So I am, so here's a funny anecdote. I am, it's the night before my hooding ceremony. They have a little barbecue at the school. Then we go home. My parents are getting ready to go somewhere. I'm getting ready to go somewhere. So my mom and dad and my aunt come and we're, you know, they meet my professors and, you know, we're talking and sitting out that side and in the car on the way home, I'm driving with them. My mom says to me, oh, well, you call them professors. Do they have doctorates? And I said, well, you know, mom, the JD is a professional doctorate. They just, you know, they, we don't refer to them as doctors, but it is a professional doctorate. Oh, and what are you going to DC for? My LLM. Oh, okay. So what would it take for you to get the JD? How much more school? Hmm? Mom. What do you think I'm getting tomorrow? <laughs> Just, it didn't because, again, my parents aren't from here because uh-huh. our, you know, because I had a cousin who had also gone back to law school, but she had actually gone back to UE to get an LLB instead of staying here in the States to get a JD. It was like a whole thing. And yeah, so that was the, fu- I mean, her whole demeanor changed. I was cracking up. She was like, oh, I love it. What? Like, what? That's, what, that's what you've been doing all these years. I had no idea. Well, it's such an important thing you share though, because, and you know, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but when talking about first generation or immigrant students or diverse students or whatever, someone whose family just doesn't know about the law, I have run into a lot of students who when either picking their law firms their family doesn't get what they do. Their family doesn't get that they work for some fancy highfalutin corporate. Like their mom is like, can you help your cousin out on that traffic court (laughs) next Tuesday? And a lot of large law firms, we rely on prestige. We're like, well, they should know that we are ranked this and that. And it's just like, no, and, and not to stereotype, but I do think sometimes when recruiting a certain community, for you to think that it's gonna be all rankings and whatever that that attract, even like I remember meeting a law student top of her class, you know, she could have written her ticket to top law firms in the country and she didn't. And not to disparage where she ended up, which was like a lovely mid-tier firm, but she ended up the firm that was like, we care about you and we'll take care of you. And and the the office managing partner had some similarities to her. I will personally make sure you succeed. That meant everything to her because the prestige thing didn't mean her parents were like, my daughter went to law school. I don't, I don't know if it's good or bad or what her practice area is. Like they don't care. So it's just, it's such an interesting aside. Yeah. No, it really is. And I, and I can, I definitely agree with that person's choice. Like I, in my experience, when I decided I was going to law school, something I didn't mention is one of the lawyers that worked in my office. So, and this all, will all come back full circle, but the guy that had started that was kicked, who kicked me out ultimately became our chief compliance officer and corporate counsel because the person who was in that role, when I started at the, that company left to go start her own firm, that firm ultimately is where I get my first job, but I'll come back to that. So to replace him, they had hired someone who is comes from, a, a, I would say, a well-known family in town. And she's lovely and I adore her. But the day I decided, the day I went back and told them, okay, I think I'm going to do this full-time. She's like, okay, great. Sit down. Close the door. We need to talk. And she says to me, she's like, you don't want to go to a big law firm. She's like, I took a pay cut to get out of one. She's like, it's hell. It's awful. You don't want to do that. Like, you don't want to do it. Just don't do it. Like, just... Trust me in this. You're going to get to law school. They're going to hype you up on how great big law is going to be and how that should be your goal. She's like, it will be soul sucking. I've got friends that are stuck there now that really want to get out. You don't want to do it. And I'm like, okay, right. Noted. So I sort of did, in a lot of ways, ignore the idea of going to a big farm. Mm. I'm going to, that's not really going to be likely anyway. And sort of started to figure out how to chart my own way forward. Be, you know, based on the work I'd already done, based on my personality, based on my willingness to learn and just sort of ignored the idea mm-hmm. of even thinking about considering it. It just wasn't on my radar. Oh, I'm sorry. And that is some powerful implications, by the way, for the moment that we're in as all of these large law firms try to figure out how to increase diversity. And there's this need, you're going to need to throw out your playbook and write a new one because the students you're trying to attract may think that either you or your industry or their values or whatever don't align and that you haven't been trying to recruit me anyway. So I have not been waiting for you to open your arms to me. I'm focusing on other things right now. And so just 
anyway, let's keep going. But everyone should think on that. So that was absolutely my mindset. I was like, it's not even a thing on my radar to the point where I was on the law student division uh, board for the Florida Bar and had a colleague who was doing all the very traditional things, went to the you know top tier, had his summer. And I had seen, we had lunch one summer and I called this girl and I'm like, bawling. I'm like, I, what am I doing? I, I'm making like, what am I doing? Like, am I wasting my time? Do I need to just quit school and go back to work? Like, obviously this is not going to work out well for me. I'm freaking out. And unbeknownst to me, she was maybe a week postpartum with her second kid. And she picks up the phone and calls me because I was texting her. She picks up the phone and calls me back. And she's like, no, ma'am. No, ma'am. We talked about this. We talked about this. We talked about this. I warned you that this would happen. You have a plan. You have your eye on the prize. You need to calm down. His path is not your path. You need to stay focused. Like that was not what we discussed. We discussed something else and no, that's not what you want. Don't let, don't get distracted by the fact that somebody else is over here with an idea of what this needs to be for you. Just you're fine. Keep going. Yep. Just, you know, keep your head up. You're good. So I did. God bless her. And I love her to this day for that. And, you know, wrapped up, graduated, studied for the bar, took the bar, started in DC. That was a change. Here, here's a note, kids. Don't, don't move to a whole new city for the first time ever. Three weeks after you take the bar exam. Let me, let me just let you know that now. That was a mistake. And wait, and what were you doing in DC? So I was getting my LLM at America. It was for the LLM, yes. Okay. So I went up there and loved full-time, left my husband here, told him he wasn't invited and got a little studio apartment and went to school. That's what you did. Yeah, that's what I did. And so what happens after the, the LL, after the LLM? What, do you, what did you do after? So wrapped up my LLM. I had my externship at Department of Justice, which I loved. And I would have stayed there. And, and by the way, say, say a few more words about what that was, by the way, because it sounds cool. <laughs> so I was, and it was through my like, program, I was, an, I was basically an intern in the Department of Justice Criminal Division in the Asset Forfeiture and Money Laundering Section which I'm, I'm obsessed with. They were at the time, the, uh, they might still be, I haven't looked in a while, the main prosecutors of the Bank Secrecy Act and money laundering crimes, the main forfeiture attorneys for the entire Department of Justice. And so they would have to be consulted anytime a you know state level, not state level, but you know what I mean? Like a state attorney, is that right? No, I'm phrasing that all wrong. Anyway, they had to be consulted anytime somebody else was going to seek forfeiture. So I was doing a lot of research and writing on forfeiture, what, how you can forfeit, you know, how you trace funds that have been into an account, going with them to argue cases on the use of the financial system. Because basically, any, as soon as you put your dirty money into our financial system, anything it touches can be forfeited. So, And I had to get you to elaborate because when I had Christopher Swift on the podcast, and we didn't talk about this on the podcast, but in some earlier talks we had, he actually mentioned you. And so Christopher Swift is a partner in Foley's DC office who has a super cool national security practice group. Go listen to his podcast if you haven't. Not national security practice group, national security practice neat stuff. But he mentioned to me, he's like, I learned that Shauna Bell worked for the U.S. Department of Justice, the money money laundering division. And I was so upset that nobody told me she had this experience because I need her help on stuff. And I realized you've had five years of legal experience, maybe more since then. But I just thought that was so hysterical that he found out you had that experience. I know you've had occasion to work with him a little bit. So that's just really cool. I have. And I love working with him because I did. I had that. That was no offense to Foley, I love it here too, but that was by far my first, my favorite work experience I've ever had. I loved that work. It was so cool. And the people there were so cool. Like you would expect them to be kind of like, I don't know, maybe snooty, fluty, but they weren't. They were super down to earth. I just had such a great time. I stayed as long, like basically my school had to be like, you can't go to work there anymore. Your externship's over. Like, are, you, are, you sure? <laughs> are you sure? Okay. And then close the gap for me a bit because I do still want to talk about your, your practice. Sure. So... And I realize I'm asking you to summarize probably four years or so of work before you joined Foley in just a couple of minutes, but do that for me. So you, LLM, internships, yeah, go for it. Okay, that's really easy. So I said that my boss at my last firm ended up was the person that had hired, not hired me, but had been corporate counsel when I started at my that first job. She left in 2008 to start her firm. I had reached out to her when I came home from DC because I was looking. I wasn't sure where I was going to land. She was very sweet to me. And so our first conversation was, I'm not really hiring right now. I'm pretty staffed up, but you know, I'll let you know, whatever. And then she called me back maybe a month later and was like, hey, 
uh, do you want to come work for me? And I was like, yeah, I do. That'd be great. Thanks. Let's do it. And so at the time I had actually taken a position back doing diligence work for another company in that same industry. Cause my girlfriend was their VP of diligence and needed help and needed somebody that she could just like throw in and she knew could figure it out. And that's what I did. So I was working from home, even though they were in Orlando. I mean, sorry, I was working from Orlando, even though they were in New York and then almost took a job with them. Then Catherine called and offered me that job. And it meant staying here, not moving. My husband's like that one, that's what we're going to do. So for four years, I did third-party diligence on complex alternative investments. So basically the flip side of what I had done before I went to law school. When I was in law school, I was facilitating all of these reviews of these products when I got out of school, I was doing the reviews of these products. So I was going in, getting all of the organizational documents, all of the transactional documents, and basically writing a uh, due diligence report, either an initial or an ongoing. So we would contract, broker dealers would come in or registered investment advisors, hire our firm to go in and do this complex review for them because the SEC basically said, this is how you show that you can avail yourself of the due diligence defense under the 33 Act should somebody try to sue you for selling them a bad product. Mm, like, okay. There's a reasonable investigation defense that I did a reasonable investigation into this product. And even that couldn't turn up whatever turned out to go wrong. So I tried, I looked, I investigated. And so they would hire us to help them with that. Mm -hmm. So I reviewed, I don't even remember how many products, but I had some fun ones. I got to go to some fun places and sit in front of some, some interesting CEOs and, you know, at some, some of the bigger firms and get to, you know, put them on the hot seat for a couple of hours. And that was fun. I enjoyed that. And I did that for four years, but it was a lot of the same. You know, that's because the process is yeah, kind of same process. Yep. Yeah. And so I started looking and a recruiter reached out to me and I, you know, sent my resume and fully liked it. And here I are. And here you are, but oh, just it's been a, a year, just a few months ago. So we would have started at Foley maybe like two months apart, maybe. Maybe. And now you are corporate transactional. I know you mentioned MA. So what do you do now? What's your practice? So my practice is still kind of fleshing itself out. So the, our Orlando office, which is obviously where I, you know, started getting the bulk of my work, is mostly MA, um, transactional work. So a lot of a lot of work for either hospitality or senior living. So a lot of buying and selling of a variety of size and intensity, I guess is a good word for it. Senior care. So independent living, assisted living, skilled nursing, a lot of, you know, a lot of hospitality. We've another big practice in our office is timeshares. So I assist on some of that. And then starting in about April or May, I had reached out to, we've got a whole group here that does fund formation and investment management. And I had reached out and sort of peeked my head out and said, hey guys, I'm new, but uh, here's my resume and here's a sample of some of the stuff I used to do. I don't know if you might want to maybe talk to me and maybe let me do some work for you. And they were like, yes, we would like that. And so I've been very, 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 very graciously welcomed into that team. And I'm adore them. And I'm so happy to be a part of their team. So now I'd help out with a variety of things in that regard. So I've done some work like I used to do as far as due diligence reviews and advising um, big pension funds. I've done, oh, drafted some PPMs, drafted a lot of agreements, you know, of varying types, operating agreements. So I, I have, I'm sort of still bouncing around between the general M&A, general corporate stuff that comes out of Orlando, and then most of the other fund formation investment management is coming out of Boston. So I'm working a lot with the Boston partners. This is fantastic because like I said, you're the first lateral associate we've had on. You said something earlier about being JD year, I think 2014, but coming into Foley at more of a mid-level associate. And so for those who don't know, you know, most of the lawyers from Foley, they, they know this, but oftentimes when someone laterals, Depending on the private work experience, it's hard for the firm to know how to slot you. So what will happen, depending on what you're doing before, is you can lose some years of seniority, you know, for better or for worse. You know, some not a fan because, hey, that means I don't have, I have longer to go to the part partnership. But for others, they would say that's great because it gives you time to figure out what you want to do to build whatever your case is. And so as you share that, it sounds like that's what you're doing is you're, you know, you're, you're you do transactional work at Foley. You're sort of figuring out where your primary practice area focus is going to be. And that is fantastic about working out of our um, Boston office as well, because even though regionally what you'll see is often people will do a lot of stuff in their region, but Foley's a national firm. 
So you can work with people in other in other offices. Um, but this also makes me wonder if you wouldn't mind reflecting a bit on how all the work you did prior to going to law school and all the stuff you've done, how it's kind of coming together. Because it sounds to me like it's coming together now where you're yeah. drawing on all these prior experiences. For sure. I would say it's in every single different way because you know, they, they have this saying, or they have had this saying, at least when I was young, but like you, you learn by reading. And so my prior job was almost exclusively reading and then summarizing what I had read. And this job is far more of the writing, but when you comprehend something by reading it, you could sort of makes it easier to transition to writing it because you know what needs to go, you know, what needs to say, you know, what the words mean, you know, what the provisions mean you know what needs to match. So, you know, I'm used to reading prior to coming to Foley, I was used to reading the operating agreement of the LLC or the LP. I'm used to reading the advisory agreement of whatever entity is advising that, you know, issuer entity. I'm used to reading all these different pieces and now I'm writing them. And so I can say, hey guys, this is in the PPM, but it needs to be in this agreement or this is not in the PPM, but it's in the agreement. I think it should be in the PPM. So it's really given me of a great opportunity to use the skills that I had developed, even though they weren't specifically the exact same. So I said that a lot when I was interviewing and when people asked me how I ended up at Foley, I joke and say, well, because it was the first time anybody read my resume and could read it. (laughs) They knew what the words meant because a lot of times having been a non-traditional lawyer, having done this in a very weird way, a lot of people they don't, I mean, no offense to people that do it the traditional way, but like, that's a very linear, it's a kind of tunnel vision. If you, like you said, they focus a lot on the, on the prestige. And if you don't have the prestige bosses, they don't really know what to do with the actual substance. They just look for the names and they look for the words and they don't know how to look for the skills. And so I think personally, and I will pat all of us on the back. It was a testament for me to Taylor and Mike that they got my resume, looked at it and said, oh, there are skills here. They might not be in the same package that we had seen before, but they're still the skills we need. And, you know, and Daljeet who agreed and, you know, everybody that sort of agreed to let them hire me and bring me on and encouraged me to reach out to other people outside of the office to be able to put those skills to use. Like I remember in my call I had with Daljeet, and Daljeet is the uh, current chair of our business law, which is our corporate department at Foley, but go on. So in my call with him, he really made a point to say, you know, Orlando doesn't do a lot of these things that you have experience in, but we have other places that do. And we encourage our associates to reach out and to work out of the office. So if there's a place you want to be, if there's work you want to do, you're welcome to go find those people and go do it. And I was like, oh, okay, yes, I would like that. I think that is so fantastic because I have a lot of goals goals for this show. Some of them are, you know, quite direct Foley lawyers learning about Foley lawyers, law students learning about lawyers. But my loftier goals, I suppose, are I just think no experience is wasted. I think all of us at one time or another have had some doubts about our path, our future, whatever. And I just think it's inspirational to really be able to hear that one, everyone's path is different. No experience is wasted, you know, and we didn't go into this, but like I've talked to people on the show about, you know, they worked at restaurants, they worked at a bar, they, how did those experiences translate to you being a lawyer? And so it just, I just get such a kick out of that. And I hope others do too. And there's, I know there's plenty of non-traditional law students or immigrants or people who aren't law students right now, but are like, oh, maybe I could figure that out, but who are only showed the prototypical path. And by the way, nothing's wrong with the prototypical path either. That's my path (laughs) until I stop practicing at least. But, but so I just, I get a a lot of joy out of you sharing that story because it's, it's an important one. I thank you so much for sharing it. So as we wrap up, I just want to ask you, so what are your reflections? What's your advice? Either anything you haven't hit on you'd like to share or just advice to others who are looking at um, a path towards the law? I think you've kind of nailed it. I think everybody's path is different. There's no right or wrong way. And I think you just have to get in there and give it a shot, which is kind of a weird thing to say, but you'd be surprised. I remember being in law school with a lot of people that were ha- you know, convinced for their entire life that this is what they were going to do. I'm going to be a lawyer. And then they got to school and they really struggled. And it was very crystal clear to everybody else that that was not what they should do. Some persisted anyway. And I don't know what results they've had in life. And I, you know, other people like me, especially, you know, 
I would never have picked this life for myself. I don't think if you had given me a million darts, I don't think that I would. You wouldn't have guessed. You would have never guessed. Never would have guessed that this is where I would would be. But I'm happy for it. And I do think we'll have a we'll have to do a whole another episode on my serving years because in, in skimmed over them are all the years I waitressed at every wing joint in the city. I'm telling you, that's where people skills and customer service skills are made. Absolutely, one thousand. I have worked in call centers. I have worked in you know, and that's where you learn it. And I do think that of all things, learning how to diffuse a tense situation. Absolutely. Like there's no better, no better teacher than a sports bar because people are drunk and people are mad and you've got to figure out how to get everybody through the situation with, you know, a straight face and without sweating. So I do think there's a million different ways to get to the same end. And then once you're there, really, is it even the end? Because I definitely have different ways and beliefs of how I do things here that are probably different than some of my coworkers. But because I'm committed to doing something I like, doing it well, but maintaining my sanity while I'm doing it. So, yep. And continuing to be yourself. Well, that is awesome. And so I ask at the end of every show, I expect you to have the same answer, but should somebody want to reach out, find you on Foley's website, can they feel free to, to shoot you an email? Yes, please. By all means. Well, that is perfect. Thank you so much, Shauna, for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Shauna. I'm here with a bit of an update, which is that as of June 2022, Shauna left Foley for an in-house role at Tractor Supply Company. We miss her at Foley and wish her well on all of her future endeavors. Thank you for listening to The Path and the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it subscribe, and leave us a review as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising and is made available by Foley and Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley and Lardner LLP, its partners, or its clients. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice.